We're going to pray together, and we invite you to join us. Do that in several ways. Certainly pray with us. If there's somebody you want to minister to, somebody that's here today, feel free to go to them and just let them know you love them. And uh, there's a lot of love and a touch. And you can put a hand on their shoulder and just pray for them or pray with them. You can come to the altar if you've got some burdens on your heart that you need to uh, maybe bring somebody else with you. Or sometimes it's just good just to come up out of your seat, come down here, kneel, and to pray and just speak to the Lord about what's on your heart. So you're free to uh, do all of that. If you want to send a text to somebody and just tell them that uh, you're praying for them, they would sure appreciate that. And that would uh, certainly be a great blessing. We can use technology. The Lord knows it's used enough for bad things. And God knows all of the things we use it for that are not edifying. We might as well use it for something that is edifying and use it for the glory and the gospel of God. We certainly want to pray for our students and sponsors who got back from camp and pray that that would continue to bear fruit in their lives for uh, all eternity, actually, that it would just be something that would be so deep and wonderful and powerful that uh, we'll be talking about it 10,000 years from now. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. and Let's take some time to worship Him in prayer. Jesus said about the temple, My Father's house shall be a house of prayer for all nations. Well, I don't think it would be any different for us as the temple of the Holy Spirit. So remember uh, to pray. Okay? Let's bow our heads and let's close our eyes. Heavenly Father, we want to come before you, Lord, because you are great and you are wonderful. And we want other people to know the God that we know, the God that we love, the God that we serve, the true and the living God. And first of all, we want our children to know it. And I pray, Lord, that in children's church this morning, seeds would be planted, seeds would be watered, and you might even give a harvest, Lord, if that pleases you. Bless those who lead, bless those who teach back there, and let the children understand things about you that they might miss in any other context. I pray for us. Pray that we would listen to your word. Pray that we would think deeply today. Pray that we would apply what we learn and see from your word in our own lives and not just live like practical atheists or pagans during the rest of the week. Far, far more that you have for us than just simply to have a Sunday morning ritual and then go about our business. We want to love you and we want you, Lord, to uh, pour your power out on us and remind us of how deeply you love us. Lord, we have sick people that need to be healed and we pray for them and we pray for their comfort. We have lost people that need to be saved and we pray you would draw them to yourself. We have saved people who need to get right with God. We pray for the conviction and the power of the Holy Spirit to fall upon them that as a result of your loving discipline, you would draw them back to you. Lord, as we think about people who are all over the world today gathering, and they're gathering in much different situations than we are. So I think about Europeans who may gather, but they gather in a dead, liberal, unbelieving church or cathedral. Oh, Lord, we pray for revival in places like that. Then we think about others who are gathering in Asia, in a land that is dominated by idolatry and polygamy. 
and there are believers worshiping there. Oh, Lord, may they worship you in spirit and in truth. We think about in Muslim countries where Christians gather in peril of their own life, and we pray for them that they would worship you and you would glorify yourself all around the world. And then we think about countries like ours, so incredibly blessed with freedom, with a government that is just magnificent. When we think about the rights that our Constitution doesn't give us, but recognizes they come from you, what a, what a great place to live. And yet we're so dead, we're so cold, we're so perverted, we're so materialistic, we're so ungrateful, we're so idolatrous in our own way. Oh, Father, save our land, heal our land. And we pray that as churches gather in lands like ours, I pray we wouldn't become so fat and sassy we forget about you. May we use the freedom and prosperity we have for your glory. And then, Father, we pray for those who are being persecuted this morning, those who are imprisoned, those who are being tortured, those who are separated from their family. Oh, God, bless them and help persecuted believers all over the world to endure to the end Help them to stand for Christ. And we pray that even their very captors and torturers would come to know Jesus as Savior and Lord. Move through our lives and move throughout the world today. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's go ahead and take our Bibles today. And I want to talk to you about some things that uh, I have seen that are in our church, they're in your family, they're in our society, they're in our schools. Law enforcement people see these kind of things all the time. I mean, it's just amazing. We need a, what I am calling here a reboot in our society, but society is not going to reboot until our family does. We've got to have a restart, a reset on all of these type of things. And uh, I was thinking about um, a time I was in a store and uh, doing a little bit of shopping, and there was a family that was not too far away, and oh my goodness, you could tell that it was not a peaceful, happy family. There was turmoil. Uh, even in the store, there was yelling and cussing and things like that that were going on, and my thought was, how does a child raised in that environment even have a chance? Very, very sad. Then I've counseled with a lot of couples. Some of them we were able to save the marriage. Some of them we weren't able to save the marriage. And uh, sometimes in talking with them and hearing the husband and wife, these people that were in love, these people that couldn't wait to be together and they got married, and in front of God and a congregation, they promised to love, cherish, honor, obey, all of those things, and to do it regardless of circumstances, sickness, health, all of that. Now they can't stand each other. And the contempt that drips from their voices is just so incredibly sad. You wonder how in the world did they get to that situation. When we think about a uh, the summer of 2020, is that right? When uh, all of the riots going on all over the nation, Antifa and 
all of those kind of things. And we find the police are helpless. We find that people are destructive and people don't care about law. They don't care about order. When we look around and we see that there are certain people, if you do certain things and you come from a certain political persuasion and you get caught, you're in trouble. You're going to pay the maximum. But there's another side of things where it's just kind of yawn, look the other way, nothing to see here, no big deal. When we look around and we see that there's just turmoil and there's confusion, and God's not the author of confusion, there's division, there's hatred along racial lines, along economic lines, among political lines. I mean, think about all that we see now. I suppose that um, not since the Civil War has our nation been as divided as it is now. We've got elections upcoming and you know what's going to happen. There's going to be all kinds of things said and there are going to be the, uh, as they always say, the October surprises, whatever month they come out in, where somebody's going to have some scandal exposed and those type of things. Boy, it gets old. When you think about what goes on even in classrooms, so different, so different than when I went to school. In fact, I remember um, being in uh, third grade in Rogers, Arkansas. My dad was in Vietnam. And this is well after the Supreme Court decision banning prayer and Bible study in school. Mrs. Roberts would start us off every day. We would stand and recite the pledge. Then we would recite the Lord's Prayer. She taught it to us. And then she would give us a Bible verse or even a Bible story. And then we would start all of that. You say, wasn't that illegal? Yeah, it was then. But I got a feeling she didn't care. She was going to do it. She had always been doing that. And she had been teacher of the year in Arkansas the year before. So I think she felt pretty secure in it. But there was something else that came across. An awful lot of love. We could tell she really, really cared about us. And as a result, the classroom was in order. And uh, we pretty well did what she wanted us to do. We learned and we grew. But you don't see that type of order. You don't see that type of respect. We were taught in that classroom, respect for our country, respect for God, respect for the Bible. You don't see much of that anymore. And we all say it's sad that that's not in the schools I'll go a little further than that. I think the saddest thing is that doesn't describe very many homes anymore. Right? And so uh, I identified some things here. Problem areas in modern relationships. And I think about the disrespect and disdain that husbands and wives have for each other. You've seen that. You may have experienced that. The disrespect and disdain that children have for their parents. And even parents for the children. Who would have ever thought that it would become acceptable in our society for a mother to be carrying a child, decide she doesn't want it, and disrespect that child that is made in the image of God so much that it's aborted like it's nothing. A piece of tissue, a cancer. Something like that. What a, what a sad world that we live in. 
to live in a world where the police are not respected, to live in a world where teachers aren't respected, to live in a world where pastors are not respected, to live in a world where parents are not respected or anything like that. And we could go on and on and on. But it's my concern and my conviction that a lot of times, parents, it's the way you act, the way you talk, and the way you model things that you shepherd your children. You're shepherding your children to disrespect authority. And it shows up when they rebel against you. I also look and think about a world where not only do we have that, but what about suspicion and skepticism? You don't know what to believe anymore. You don't know who to believe. How many of you have ever had a time where you saw something on the internet, you posted it on Facebook or Instagram or something like that, Twitter, only to find out later on it wasn't true and you had somebody expose it and now you're embarrassed that you posted it. You ever done anything like that? You don't know who to believe. You don't know what link to follow. If I click on this, am I going to really get the information the headline said or is it just somebody fishing for information out of me? Who knows? But that carries on in so many things. How many of you believe what you see on the news? How many of you believe that that anchor man or anchor woman doesn't have a uh, hidden agenda? They don't have an axe to grind, that there's not something more to the story that you're not hearing. How long has it been since you really felt good about anything that you watched on TV pertaining to news or explaining something? A lot of suspicion, a lot of skepticism. And the sad thing is, that carries into parents... Your children, as they get exposed to the educational system at various levels, they're being taught not to believe you and to be skeptical of everything that you say, everything that I say. Some of our younger people, what they hear in Sunday school, what they hear from this pulpit, they've already decided it can't be trusted and it's not true. They were shepherded that particular way. Sadly, there are a lot of husbands and wives that even though you still live together and you're here in church together, you're suspicious of each other. You're skeptical about the other person. You see their good points, but you also see their bad points. Sometimes it may look a little strange when you think about that person that you live with and the way that they act at home and when you sit by them in church, boy, they sing the songs. They may raise their hands. They may say amen. And you say, who is this person? I've heard from more than one wife that they get tired of seeing the way their husband interacts with other ladies in the church in a way that they don't even interact with their own wife. Children say that about parents. My mom, my dad, they're so patient. 
and they're so kind, and they smile a lot when they're at church, but they're sure not like that when they're at home. You think about those kind of things. It throws suspicion, skepticism on every part of life. We live in that kind of an age. There's all kinds of sarcasm, and there's all kinds of selfishness. The reason we do that is because we only think about ourselves. We want to, through sarcasm, disarm and discredit other people because we think that that builds us up. And we uh, think about the way that we manipulate other people. Even our children learn how to manipulate their parents. Sometimes manipulate, manipulating dad against mom and mom against dad so they can get what they want. That's the world we live in. Now, got a question for you. Am I right? Have you seen that kind of stuff? Maybe you even live in it. We all do to some degree. And as I was thinking about those things, I thought about how we ought to address them. And then I thought of one more. How many people have you ever seen as they get old? They get to the point of death, maybe even on their deathbed, and they say, I wish I had, and then they reflect back on their life, on something they wish they had spent more time in, something they'd wished that they had done. You know, I got a feeling that that's going to be true of this generation as much as any generation, because we're the ones that run around talking about how tired we are, and how we just, oh, I just didn't have any time today. Now, be fair. What did you do? What took up your time? And was it profitable? And I've noticed that people tend to do something. Sometimes they do a little bit of both. They ignore the present for the future. And they go, well, someday. Well, one of these days. Well, when my ship comes in. Well, when I have enough money. Well, when things change. And there's nothing about now. Everything is out in the future. And as you know, tomorrow never comes, does it? At the same time, I've seen other people. They get so focused on today that they don't make any plans for the future. And they wonder why they're in a mess. They wonder why they don't have anything ready for where they live now, it's because they didn't really think about it, didn't really plan for it on a day-to-day basis. Sometimes with parents, you may be thinking about your kids so much, going to go to college, going to play in the NFL or the NBA or something like that. Uh, All of the things they're going to do. And so everything you do now is pushing, 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 and you miss the joy of just being a mom or a dad with a kid today, what they're learning today, what they're doing today, the funny things they say today. So some people are so focused on today, they're not ready for tomorrow, and some people are so focused on tomorrow that they don't enjoy today because you're not promised a tomorrow. See what I mean? So... What are we going to do about these situations? Because if we could correct these four things, your relationship that is troubled right now would change 
very, very, very fast. You say, well, what about, and you name a bunch of other things. Well, they would probably flow out of these four things. If you get these four things right, you could probably handle just about anything. And so the Bible has a solution. We try to think of the things we need to do. And sometimes when uh, we say that, well, let me tell you what the Bible says. Well, I already know what the Bible says. Tell me something I can do. I had a pastor one time that somebody said uh, when they expressed a problem, why don't you go see the pastor? Oh, it doesn't do any good. All he does is give you scripture. Isn't that amazing? And it shows what we really don't believe. Well, the Bible actually does have the solution. Okay, let's talk about some things. Number one, I think a lot of relationships in the home, in the church, at the workplace, wherever they are, they suffer because things are out of order. I think we have to get things in order. Let's talk about authority with honor. Now, the reason I put those two things together is you may have somebody that... Uh, they're bigger than you. They've got something they can hold over you. And you do what they say, but you resent it. And you don't like them and you don't think anything of them. My uh, grandpa, my dad's side, was uh, evidently a pretty mean man. And I remember asking my dad one time, what was it like when your dad came home? And he said, uh, all ten kids said when they heard dad's truck coming up the road, they scattered because they were scared to death of him. Now they did what he said because they were afraid not to. And with him, it was all about just the power. All about the power. And you know, people don't respond to that too well. Some of you are disciplining your kids. You wonder why it's not working. And for you, it's all about power. It's not really about the kid's heart. It's not about correcting them. It's not having compassion on the, them and their struggles. It's all about the power. And one of the things that happens is consider this statement. You can obey somebody without honoring them, but you cannot honor someone in authority without obeying them. And I'm afraid that there are a lot of times in all of these various situations where authority is obeyed, maybe like in the military, maybe on the job, maybe in government, maybe at school, maybe in your home. Authority is obeyed, but it's not really honored. And we want to shoot for both. The Bible says in the Ten Commandments, honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Now Paul, in the New Testament, quotes that particular commandment, says it's a first commandment with promise. And Israel's key to how long they would last as a nation in the land started in the home. Started in the home. And God tells them, that the way you treat your father and your mother is a key as to how long Israel is going to stay in the land. Now, why would he say it that way? Well, here's what I think. I think that it is in the home 
as a child learns how to honor their father and honor their mother and certainly obey them. That's a commandment in the New Testament as well. But it's honor, the honoring of their parents. I see a lot of parents today that they let their kids disrespect them almost like it's no big deal or it's a show of humility. It's really not because your children learn to respect all authority by the way that they respect you. And they especially learn to relate to God in the way they relate to the parents. And I think that uh, God was telling Israel here that if you can get this right in the family, it'll carry over into the tabernacle. It'll carry over into business. It'll carry over into politics. It'll carry over into friendships and relationships. But if it breaks down here with mom and dad, then it's going to be a problem. In fact, the Bible takes this theme of honor even into the New Testament. 1 Peter 2.17 Honor all people. Have you looked at some of your Facebook posts lately? Some of the things you say about other people? I don't care if they're in your political party or not. The scripture says, honor all people. It says, love the brotherhood. Do you really love your church? Do you really love your brothers and sisters in Christ? Do you love to gather? Do you love the word of God? Do you love to sing his praises? Do you love to meet needs? Do you love to be a servant? Do you love to take a meal to somebody? Do you love to pick up groceries for somebody who's sick? I mean, love the brotherhood, it says. If you love each other, it's no problem getting together. It says next, we're to fear God. Do we really have an honor for God, or has he just become a, a buddy, a companion? I had a dog that I miss, and... Uh, Boy, he was a friend, and he liked to go wherever I would go, and it didn't matter what I was doing. He may have just laid down on the floor and, and started to take a nap, but if I got up, he was up. He was there. He was with me, and I got to thinking one time, some people treat God like that, like he's a puppy that follows him around. He's an old dog that follows him around. He's there anytime I call on him, and he's there for my benefit. Who does that make the master? The Bible says that Jesus is the Lord and he is to be feared, he is to be honored. And then it also says, honor the king. And Peter was asking a lot when he said that. You know who the king was? Caesar in Rome. You know which Caesar it was? The worst one of all, it was Nero. You've heard the old saying, Nero fiddled while Rome burned. Well, he did more than that. He blamed the burning of Rome on Christians and he burned Christians alive in his uh, garden, used them as human torches. And Peter says, honor him. And we as Americans will say, well, I'll honor the king when he acts honorable. The Bible doesn't give you that permission. You're to show honor even before that because you are demonstrating something in your home and in your family. And if you teach and shepherd your children to dishonor a politician you don't like, you are shepherding them and teaching them to dishonor you and to dishonor the God who put that person in power. And this is why this idea of authority must be held up in the home. That is something that is non-optional and you are as parents to be in charge, to raise your children and while you're doing that you teach them to respect you 
because in doing so you're teaching them to respect all other authorities government church family and God in their own lives why is it that there are so many people that are not afraid and they don't have any respect for the cops I will promise you that there is that same kind of disrespect for one or maybe both of their parents children have to be taught that and we have to model that so we need to bring that into proper perspective let's think about the next thing that comes up let's talk about grace giving the benefit of the doubt and forgiving benefit of the doubt I can tell when a couple is in trouble you see when they're dating and when uh, daddy sits down with his daughter and says, I've got concerns about that boy you're seeing. And then he names some things, and let's say all of them are true. What is her response? Oh, daddy, he's not always like that. Well, he doesn't mean it like that. And he's changing, and he's trying really hard. What do we call that? It's called giving the benefit of the doubt. He's guilty, but we give him the benefit of the doubt. Now let's fast forward. They've been married 15 years. And that same girl says to her husband, you did that on purpose. You knew what you were doing. What was happening there? The benefit of the doubt is gone. You knew. You meant that. You hurt me on purpose. Guys, be the same way can go back and forth when they stop giving the benefit of the doubt there's trouble and the same thing is true with friendships it's true with people in the church you hurt me on purpose you ignored me on purpose you didn't speak to me on purpose that's when you have a breakdown and that's when trouble comes in but Paul says in Colossians 3:13 bear with one another some translations say Put up with one another. Because sometimes that's the best you can do. Just put up with one another. You're in the same family, right? Put up with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, it's going to happen, isn't it? What do we do? Forgive each other as the Lord has forgiven you. Hey, we just solved all of our problems, didn't we? You see, we like to forgive and hold on to those grudges and hold on to those memories. And it's almost like we're wearing them in a backpack so we can pull them out, oh yeah, at a moment's notice. How does the Lord forgive you? He takes your sins and casts them as far as the east is from what? And he remembers them no more. Ouch. That's what Paul says is supposed to happen in the home and in the church and as we interact with lost people throughout society. We are supposed to forgive as the Lord has forgiven us. So you also, notice he uses the word must, not should, not should. We like to hide behind that. Well, I know I should. He said you must because to fail to do that is sin. Now, how many families are there those things 
that are always ready that when the right word is said, when the right thing happens or doesn't happen, you know that out of the arsenal is going to come a bunch of junk from the past that supposedly was dealt with. And you find that that person has been carrying that stuff all the time, ready at a moment's notice to whip it out and to beat you up with it, cause division again. And so everybody has to walk on eggshells. Everybody has to be so careful about what they say, so careful about what they don't say. And Paul would say, are you a Christian? Oh, yes, Paul, I'm a Christian. Then it ought not be so because you must forgive as God has forgiven you. And so often, people are under the burden. The past is always going to be brought up. Something's always going to be said. And uh, you just walk on pins and needles, scared to death, bound up. Unable to talk, unable to share, because you don't want the repercussion of what's coming. And you know there are those times with a family member or even a friend in the church. I would love to unburden my soul and tell them about it. But what I know is going to happen is it's going to turn into what I did to them or what has happened to them. And it's going to be like a tsunami overcoming me and I just don't need anymore. When you are in a pool and you have nothing but your nose above water, you don't need a wave coming after you. That's why the Bible tells us we are to be slow to speak, swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. Because sometimes we're making waves for people who don't need it. It may make you feel better, but it's drowning them. Stop it. Do what Paul says in Colossians. Thirdly, the word humility comes to mind, and that is the pursuit of peace. Have you ever noticed that for, in order for peace to come along, somebody's got to surrender, somebody's got to give in, somebody's got to make a, make a negotiation, they've got to make a compromise about something. But when you stand your ground and say, nope, I'm not giving up one little bit, you're going to have war. Psalm 133.1, this ought to characterize your family. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. And we all know that to be true. But we don't pursue it. Because the only way we can pursue it is what Romans chapter 12 verse 18 says. If it is possible, it's not always, but if it is possible, as much as depends on you. In other words, quit pointing the finger to other people. It's not about them. It's about you, child of God. What's he say? Live peaceably with all men. That means you're going to have to surrender your rights. That means you're going to have to, in honor, give preference to one another, even in the home. Why is it that we think that it's in the home we can come and then we can be ourselves? We didn't cause trouble at work. We didn't cause trouble at school. But the moment we walk in the door, all of a sudden now there's trouble. And there are problems coming out. Well, the Bible gives us the remedy for that. As much as is possible, as much as depends on you, be at peace with all men. And then the fourth thing is wisdom. Okay, this is important. Live for now 
and later. Live for now and later. Put the two together. But here, here's your word of exhortation. Don't get stuck in either one. Now that's where we get into trouble. People sometimes are doing the right thing for their child today, but they're neglecting the future. They're neglecting where it's headed. And other people are always thinking about the future and they don't deal with today because they get stuck either in today or they get stuck in the future. Both of them are good things. Both of them are the right things. You got to take care of today. You got to get the joy of today. But you also have to plan for the future. Don't get stuck in either place. And some people are coming home and they say, just leave me alone, go out and play, don't bug me, kid. And what happens? They end up with a terrible future. And some people are all about whatever time I spend with my kid today, it's all about the future and the kid learns to resent them. I had a friend in high school, he uh, sat behind me in a class, his name was Johnny, and Johnny had full scholarships to five major universities to play football. I said, Johnny, where are you going to go? And I'll never forget the look that he had on his face. He goes, nowhere. I go, what? What do you mean by that? And he said, with a frown on his face, he said, Greg, I've been playing football since I was five years old. I'm 18 now, and I don't have to play anymore and I'm not going to play anymore. You know what he had? Parents that were living their life through him, pushing him in the way that he, he was good at it, obviously, but he didn't love it. It wasn't the way he wanted to go. You know the sad thing about Johnny? A year after we graduated, he backed out onto 96th Street in Owasso, and there were what we called roller coaster hills, and some kids from Inola were driving over the roller coaster hills at 110 miles an hour. And when he backed out, they slammed into him and killed him and his pregnant wife instantly. I wonder if his parents ever thought, I wish I hadn't pushed so hard for his future and enjoyed him more during that day. Sometimes we get all caught up in the wrong things and we get trapped in all of that. Don't get stuck in either one. In Psalm 127, verses 3 through 5, it says, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. You know, we ought to think more like that, treat them like that. They're a gift. And the fruit of the womb, a reward. Your children are not punishment. Do you remember President Obama said that he wanted abortion to be legal because if one of his daughters made a mistake sexually, he didn't want them, and I quote, Punished with a baby? We can't look at children like that. We can't look at our kids that way. They're not a pain in the neck. They're a reward from the Lord. Our culture does not want very many rewards, do we? Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them... He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. You know, I think as I look at these four things, 
You know what that really sums up? That's the definition of revival. The outgrowth of revival. When we get right with God, and then we begin to do these four things in our homes, we do these four things in our workplaces, we do these four things in our society, we do these four things as we're living and the way that we treat other people, it's the outgrowth of revival. A few quotes here that I'll give you before we leave. J.I. Packer says, Revival is a visitation of God which brings to life Christians who have been sleeping and restores a deep sense of God's near presence and holiness. Thence springs a vivid sense of sin and a profound exercise of heart in repentance, praise, love with an evangelistic outflow. In other words, it starts on the inside and it works its way out. It changes everything. Another man said, Have you noticed how much praying for revival has been going on of late and how little revival has resulted? I believe the problem is that we have been trying to substitute praying for obeying. Did you get that? Praying for obeying and it simply will not work. God's not going to bless what he's cursed, folks. Then, the last one. You never have to advertise a fire. Isn't that right? Everyone comes running when there's a fire. Likewise, if you are on fire, you will not have to advertise it. The community will already know it, according to Mr. Leonard Ravenhill. Isn't that true? And one of the things you want your children to know is that you're on fire for the Lord. See, the Bible says, and this is why our society's in such a mess, Isaiah 55, 8, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. But oh, we sure try to make it that way, don't we? We try to stubbornly continue on in our own way, our own thoughts, our own desires, our own actions, and then we try to find a way to make them right, make them acceptable, cover them up. And like Adam and Eve walking around, can you imagine how ridiculous they looked when they walked around covered in sewn-together fig leaves? How do you think you look when your life is hypocritical? Fruitless, out of step with the Spirit of God, doesn't line up with the Word of God, especially when it comes to relationships, and then you try to justify it somehow. And the sad thing is it shows up because other people are going to notice your leaves are slipping. You got some things showing that you wanted to cover up. And what's the only answer? To make a full confession to God. Because he covers our sins with the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. He takes away our guilt. He takes away our shame. He died on the cross as the unblemished Lamb of God for sinners like you and sinners like me. He went to the cross and suffered the wrath of God 
For everything I've ever thought, everything you've ever thought, everything I've ever done, everything you've ever done, everything I haven't done, and everything you haven't done. So that when he got through, he said the word to telestai, it is finished. Meaning, paid for. The debt is paid in full. And they laid him in Joseph's tomb, according to the prophecy of the Bible. And three days later, the stone rolled away. And our Lord arose in victory over death, hell, and the grave. But there's something else that happened for every person who surrenders to him as Lord, puts their faith and trust only in Christ, and accepts his death as a full payment for their sin. He comes to live in them through the Holy Spirit. And it's the Holy Spirit that shows you what the Word of God means and gives you the ability and the desire to obey. It's the Holy Spirit that makes your life matter, that gives it purpose, that gives you a legacy, that gives you something to stand on. The Holy Spirit brings consistency in your life so that you pass on the right things. You pass on enough wrong things to your kids. We all do. But you also want to pass on some right things. So my prayer is today that if you don't know Christ, you'll trust Him as your Savior and Lord, and He'll change your life in every area. And if you do know Him, and there's sin in your life, 1 John 1, 9 is your verse. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from some unrighteousness, most unrighteousness, the majority of unrighteousness. No, he says the word A-L-L. What's that word? All unrighteousness. Because what God does, he does well, and he does right. And we should live for his honor and his glory in everything we do everything we say, everything we think, and everything that motivates us. Heavenly Father, we're a congregation of people that fall short of the glory of God constantly. Thank you that that sin is paid for. And I pray we wouldn't become complacent or apathetic because we're forgiven. Lord, I pray we'd be motivated to serve a God who could be so kind, so loving, so personal, so involved as to pay for all of our sins. How could he ever ask too much of us? How could he ever, how could he ever demand things that we would be unwilling to do? And thank you, Lord, that you not only demand them and command them, You actually give us yourself, the Holy Spirit, so that we can actually do those things. Thank you, Lord. Draw people to you and to your grace. Change our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.